situation we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to Behind the Headlines on the SOT Radio Network, the world for people who think. Hi, and welcome to Behind the Headlines on the South Radio Network. I'm Joe Quinn, and my co-hosts this week, as usual, are Neil Bradley. Hi, everyone. Harrison Keeley. Hello. And Alan Martin. Hello. So, this week we are going to be discussing, as you probably gathered from the from the headline, the... Uh, the thing that's been dominating dominating the headlines for the past uh, few weeks, um, which is, well, it's not limited to Harvey Weinstein, but it's uh, it's certainly centered on him, um, and but it's obviously it's spread to many other people at this point as well, and it's it really this whole thing began quite a long time ago, but it's been gaining steam for the past few weeks, and. Um, and we're just going to be discussing that. Amongst other things, we're going to be discussing that uh, that topic itself and uh, what's really going on behind it, if there's anything more to what's being uh, presented to uh, to the public by the media. Um, uh, is there anything else that should be considered other than just uh, Me Too, basically? Um, so we'll be getting into that and also into a few other topics uh, that have been going on in the world in general over the past few weeks. So... Um, <coughs> Yeah, what do we think? Well, what's the latest on the Weinstein thing? Um, like, has there any, has there been anything anything new of relevance that uh, that doesn't involve just the way it's kind of spiraled into other areas? Because um, the last thing, the last headline I saw today, I didn't even get a chance to read the article yet, was that uh, Weinstein had a uh, what was it like a, a hit list of like people in the industry to either either help him or to help him go after accusers um, to basically stop anyone from coming forward. That's the last I heard about that. But other than that, um, I mean, I haven't really, except for the, the fact that he um, hired, he had basically an agency that of ex-spies, like uh, ex-Mossad spies to, to work for him to, um, you know, help him with his PR in the last uh, several months. But other than that, what's new with what's new with Weinstein? Well, I think several days ago, the New York City Police Department said they had enough information to go after him on uh, rape charges. Um, I didn't get too many details on that, or, or recall who it was that uh, that was saying that uh, she had been raped by Harvey Weinstein. Um, but uh, in case anybody's been under a rock for the past three or so months. Uh, just as a quick kind of summary here, Harvey Weinstein, one of the uh, most powerful Hollywood producers uh, around in the last, say, 25 years, um, has been accused of uh, raping several actresses uh, and or harassing them. Um, and it seems like it's... Uh, what we what we've witnessed since 
all of those allegations have come to light. Uh, just in quick summary, is a lot of uh, women have come out to say that they've not only been harassed and and uh, and abused by Weinstein himself, but uh, by many other uh, producers and people in Hollywood. Um, so th- this is, you know, as Joe said at the top of the show, uh, it's created this kind of cascading Me Too um, phenomena where, you know, lots of people are, have have found the courage and the voice to uh, to admit that they have also been um, abused and victims of uh, of you know, what appears to be a, a kind of a very abusive relationship in Hollywood between the powerful and those who are uh, ambitious um, or just you know of no fault of their own. Um, so yeah. That that's it in a nutshell. Um, we could get back to what you <coughs> mentioned just now, it. Harrison. <clears throat> Everybody should explain the the Wiener Gate briefly. Uh, that's probably a reference to Anthony Wiener, right? Right. Yes. Who's Anthony Wiener? Well, he's a politician, Democrats uh, senator for New York State or House of Rep from New York, um, who actually just went to jail this week. He's doing. Mm-hmm. He's serving twenty-one months for sexting, which is a new thing. Same old thing with new modern tech. <laughs> Specifically, sexting a fifteen-year-old. So he's gone down. Well, this, for, this, for this came up last two years. This that. came up last year and during the during the elections with Wiener. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's actually been going on since yeah. Yeah. twenty eleven. But the Wiener Gate. I mean, it's it's. Uh, well, I suppose what a question. How can we would? Is there any d- direct connection between this latest? trend about Hollywood people doing this uh, and this guy not necessarily there's no real connection but it's I suppose the connection we're making here is that there's a scandal out of the fact that uh, one, one guy initially has become you know a much broader scandal about these kinds of activities they like to get up to um, yeah well I mean, it's basically it's nothing new as far as I'm concerned. It's a um, it's a big, really a big storm in a teacup, and it can't be divorced from the whole social justice warrior business that has been going on uh, over the past uh, couple of years. Uh, and everybody listening is probably aware aware of that because it's. Um, I mean, how to, how to sum up the social justice warrior business? It's I mean, it's minorities, it's minority rights. Uh, it's feminism. It's uh, with women as a minority, uh, somehow or other, or certainly uh, oppressed in some way. It's, it's not very clear, obviously, but the whole social justice warrior business uh, over the past few years, where minorities um, have been taken or kind of front and center stage uh, in, in terms of the media and getting attention from from pretty much everybody for. Um, their rights, basically, and their victim status, effectively. Uh, it's, it's basically a cult of victimhood that has swept the planet, or certainly pl- swept Western, not the planet, but Western Western uh, societies over the past couple of years. And this is clearly a part of uh, that uh, cult of victimhood, um, where uh, every possible grievance that anybody anywhere could possibly dig up um, is brought out. And the media snaps it up and uh, 
promotes it and repeats it over and over again. Um, Harvey Weinstein is obviously a big, creepy, scary, lechy type person. I don't know him, obviously, so um, probably not not too concerned. I don't, but um, he um, <laughs> he's you know he's he's probably typical of uh, media or, or movie moguls, let's say. And Hollywood, this kind of thing is probably rife in Hollywood. Why is he being focused on um, to the exclusion of of probably many, many others? Even though many others uh, have uh, many others have been identified by these uh, women who, who claim claim that they're they're victims um, and men and, and some men as well. Um, but it's uh, it's focused on Weinstein because he's kind of top of the heap type of thing, and he also seems to have. I don't know. The question is, does he have the worst uh, list of of transgressions against him, uh, I don't know. Um, maybe there's someone else who hasn't been reported yet who, who has worse. But certainly, he would, I suppose he would maybe have access or would have uh, contact with with more women, and therefore his particular kind of seedy, creepy predilections uh, were were exposed. <coughs> no pun intended. To to more more women <laughs> because he would he would see more more women than um, let's say the average uh, let's say the average uh, um, movie star. Hollywood movie star, you know, um, even though they see probably come across or, or find a lot of women, um, uh, see, or see a lot of women during their during their daily activities, um, not quite so many as, as Harvey because he's the one who's you know checking all the starlets or whatever. He has access to women basically. Mm-hmm. So um, and he's been accused of, as far as I'm understanding, he's been accused of two rapes. Um, again, it's very hard to tell whether that's uh, true or not. Um, this what's going on now obviously is trial by media and it's a pretty sad situation where uh, if it were to come to pass that uh, I mean pretty much everybody who's aware of Harvey Weinstein uh, either thinks he's a rapist and a complete piece POS um, or um, yeah everybody everybody I mean that's that, that's how he's been portrayed in the media. Everybody everybody sees him in that way. Um, it would be pretty because of these allegations. It would be pretty sad if, in like say a year or two years or whatever, the let's say the claims against him, particularly the two rape claims against him, were were went to court and were were thrown out of court or proven to be false. It was, well, it's too late then, right? I mean, it's uh, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> so he's you know he's yeah. it's, it's trial by media. It's trial by Twitter. That's going on right now, and the, and it's 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 a done deal, you know. By the time this guy gets to court, he'll probably be out of a job, and he'll never work again. He'll be a pariah, basically, right? Um, mm-hmm. which, so that that's a that's a worrying part of it, you know. And again, it's on the on the testimony of a lot of uh, women in Hollywood uh, who claim that uh, he, you know, um, he, he tried to strike a wager or a bargain with them where they would um, indulge his, you know, seedy sexual fantasies uh, in exchange for, or the, the, with the implied or with the explicit or Im- implicit promise of better uh, progress or better uh, career prospects for them. Um, that's a kind of dynamic that's as old as human society, human human history. So, um, so I suppose my point is what, Given given all of those details, it's there's something wrong with the way it's being sensationalized and hyped up the wazoo uh, in the media uh, right now. But then it's there's something wrong with that. But then it's not strange to me that that's happening because I said it's coming on the heels of 
couple of years of this kind of rampant um, uh, social justice warrior type uh, memes going mm-hmm. on and minority rights and the oppression of all sorts of minorities. Uh, so it's not surprising. It's it's me too, you know, as a hashtag for all these women who are coming out saying that I me too. Uh, <clears throat> I also, you know, suffered some form of sexual harassment at some point in my life. Me too, me too. Um, it's 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 basically them jumping on the band, bandwagon as victims, basically. And that bandwagon was set up and established a couple of years ago. I mean, you could argue it's long before that, but really it, it gained a lot of traction in the past couple of years. And... Um, and, and this is this is the the next iteration of it, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Well, I just want to comment on a couple of things you said um, because first of all, you asked, well, is is Harvey Weinstein kind of representative of the the worst of the bunch? And I'd say that we can, well, I think we can pretty unequivocally say uh, no that there are much worse people than Harvey Weinstein, and um, and we can tell that just by a few examples and that's just the 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 number like the 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 shocking number of um cases of um like pedophile um behavior in hollywood and these so this would involve the the grooming and actual rape of children and how um so cory feldman is just the latest um kind of media um the latest example that has gotten at least some media coverage and he's so far you know named two of the 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 men in hollywood <clears throat> that that not only abused him but several other you know uh kids in hollywood uh, around the same time but there are numerous other examples and there was the documentary i mentioned several weeks ago uh, i can't remember the name of it off the top of my head now but it was basically um a documentary about the, the same thing and following the uh, it, it focused on this kind of small group of five or six individuals um, with a number of you know child actor uh, victims who are now <clears throat> now adults and that were speaking about this and they went through and you know just basically tracked it down and identified a whole bunch of people and even just with that as an example you can you can tell that there are people you know th- things that are going on in Hollywood that are worse than Harvey Weinstein and what I mean by that is that um, worse in the sense of let's say real like documentable like uh, uh rape as opposed to sexual harassment because we have to you know keep in mind the distinction uh because there is one um and also th- that the the reason i think that that weinstein is getting the attention goes back to what you're saying about the the whole social justice warrior climate and this comes back to the, that distinction of um you know what is considered uh, rape or sexual harassment in this day and age and how the definitions have changed over the years. Um, what I think what many people think of as, as sexual harassment has changed. And some people may even think, um, you know, still be operating under, um, let's say, like out-of-date definitions, uh, maybe even from like 10, 15 years ago, not to mention, you know, 30. And the, because the the category has broadened to include um, you know a lot of behavior today that wasn't wouldn't have necessarily like legally or even just uh, culturally been considered sexual harassment. So with such a broad category and the the fact that um, SJW culture has kind of made um, it's kind of perfect for the the social media culture that you know um, any kind of relatively minor infraction 
will get a whole lot of media attention. So, and it's kind of like a, a climate of hysteria where, where, um, I mean, we saw this in a different, um, context in the, the years after 9-11, for example, where, you know, someone would, people would find uh, a toy on the street that had been left by some kid and there'd be like this massive bomb scare and everyone would be worried that there was like a, right. you know, it was a, 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 a bomb toy or something and people would just go crazy. It's the same kind of hysterical climate. So when you have a guy like Harvey Weinstein who, um, well, I want to get into some of the specific details of that, but when you get, when you have a guy like Weinstein, you have, um, like you said, a lot of women with, with whom he's interacted who are more willing to come forward because, um, because it's something that they can, they can talk about that is relatively mild compared to the worst things that go on in Hollywood. So what I mean by that, and this is to get into specifics, if you look at the, the sort of things that, uh, that Weinstein is accused of doing, um, for like, except for those two, um, you know, rape, uh, accusations, like there have been, I think it's probably upwards of 50 women so far who have come forward with stories of their interactions with Weinstein. And for the most part, what they say is that basically they'd go up to his hotel room. He'd kind of arrange it so that they'd be left alone. And then he'd either like expose himself or, you know, ask them to, to watch him shower or to, he'd kind of like hint that maybe, if they slept with him or gave him some kind of sexual favor, he would help their career. And conversely, if they didn't, he had the power to, to end their career. And, um, there are stories of him like cornering women in the hallways and masturbating into plants in front of them. Um, but, and so that's the kind of stuff that people think is, is quite shocking and, uh, you know, reprehensible. Um, but I'm then sorry, but to, he did what, <laughs> he did what to the plants? He, he masturbated uh, into potted plants. Oh, okay. All right, carry on. <laughs> so um, now one thing that, uh, that people haven't really been focusing on is, is the fact that there are also many women who have come forward, um, and these, these are either people who have, uh, like women who have go, gone on to be successful or who you know, didn't have very big careers. So it's debatable one way or the other if you know, Harvey Weinstein... Um, you know, uh, put the kibosh on their career. Yeah. Put the kibosh on them. Or if they manage to just become successful on their own talent, you know, using other people, um, who have said that they just rejected him outright. You know, they laughed at him. They, you know, they said, no way, Harvey, like you're, you're disgusting. I'm not, you know, I'm not up for that. And then he would like, he would laugh about it and make it make as if it's a joke. And, and that would be the end of it. Um, so there are several people, several women who have come forward and said they rejected him and he, and he didn't pursue them after that. Now he may have, you know, gotten, you know, uh, started, you know, rumor campaigns about them and stuff to, to try to block their careers. We don't know about that for sure. Um, in a lot of these cases, but they basically said no. And he was, um, uh, I, maybe not cool with it, but he, he didn't pursue them after that. He didn't rape them after that. He didn't like attack them after they said no. He basically respected their decision to say no. And so that's, that's, I've, it's been interesting to see that there are a lot of women saying that, but their stories, you know, haven't, that doesn't really factor into the, um, the thinking about Harvey Weinstein. What you end up basically getting is that, <clears throat> is that a lot of these women who, um, um, who, who tell these stories and the ones who engaged in some kind of, you know, sexual act with, with Weinstein um, is, is the fact that, um, you know, you have, you also have to consider, um, you know, how much responsibility 
um, they have, whether they were in a position where they felt they had no, you know, agency, no ability to say no, like they, you know, they felt they were cornered or whether it was like a, an almost subconscious, um, you know, arithmetic. Okay, well, it, it's either my career or, you know, uh, my dignity. And this gets to something that an interesting talk that I that I saw with Camille Peglia recently, um, where she was talking about the, the Weinstein thing. And I think the, the the name of the video was something like how to deal with men like Harvey Weinstein. Hmm. And she was just kind of, um, of course, for people who, who don't know Camille Peglia, she's a kind of 60s feminist um, who is really critical of the the direction that feminism has gone in the last several you know decades and of the whole jo- social justice warrior thing so she's she kind of has more in common with uh you know with the critics of of feminism and sjw from like the right wing but she's actually this hardcore leftist feminist so it's interesting to to, to watch her just to get a you know a, a different view on things and how it's not just you know black and white right and left but anyways in this talk she was saying that it's she's just shocked well Maybe not shocked, but it it continues to to rile her up when she sees examples like this and stories like this of of women in these situations because she says that you know in her experience um, dealing with what she calls like the working class women so these are like the the women on this on the you know working just you know regular jobs nine to five and um, you know not necessarily you know upper middle class but uh, women basically with with street smarts. She says they know how to handle themselves around men like Harvey Weinstein. And when it comes to more of the kind of groomed upper class women, they kind of have this this more kind of, um, how did she call it? Like a, th- this always be polite and nice and never say anything bad and never make a scene kind of attitude. And so like uh, a, like she thinks that women should, and many women do, you know, when they encounter something like that, they like... You know, you yell at him, you tell him he's he's sick, like you say, no way. And for her, it would be like there. She personally said that if 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 she was ever in a situation like that, there would be no question of the, of the choice of you know career or dignity. It would be dignity all the time. If he says he's going to ruin ruin her career, well, you know he can try, and but she's not going to you know lower herself and you know lower her dignity to the point where she you know makes that compromise in order to further her career. So basically, that for her it comes down to a matter of like uh, personal integrity, and basically that a lot of the a lot of the women in in a situation like this, I won't necessarily say all women, um, they they haven't developed that integrity for themselves yet. So well, um, so yeah, that's what we. Yeah, it's an important point, and I, the point I think you're making really is that it's in the context, the context in which these uh, meetings with Harvey Weinstein occurred occurred very explicitly in the context of a movie producer, big-time movie producer, uh, meeting with, or for whatever reason, being in the company of an aspiring actress. Uh, I mean, there's a, there's a subtext there, too, that, that both people are aware of. So any propositions made in that, in, in that context are based on that idea of, you know, Harvey Weinstein using his position to lobby for, let's say, uh, some kind of sexual interaction with these women. And those women know that. And the other part of the context there, obviously, is that they have then that decision to make as to what they know what this is about. This is about potential career progression if you submit or, or accede, uh, accede to, the, um, to the proposition from Harvey Weinstein uh, or, the, or the potential for 
your career not going so well uh, or not getting that uh, boost in career progression if you deny it. So in our goal, let's say, in the situation where Harvey, Harvey Weinstein did have some sexual interaction with these women, it's fair to assume that it was not really conf- not really forced in any way, that it was in that context. And if, if the women engaged in it in any way or found themselves in that position, they did it because of because that uh, well because they agreed to it because they you know they they made the wrong decision in that moment which was to um or, or maybe some of them maybe made, made the right decision because it gave them a career boost but in that moment they were faced with a choice and it wasn't a choice between you know uh as is kind of being typified of uh, or, or as it's being presented which was uh, you know either i do what he says or he might kill me no it's I do what he says and I get something for it or I don't do what he says and I may miss out on something. That seems to be a very clear context in which this happened, which kind of like removes any real, uh, removes as, as a plausible argument or a plausible scenario uh, any idea of coercion, except in the context of, well, it's oppression because Harvey Weinstein shouldn't be in that position where he can actually put that kind of pressure or even, you know, uh, create that scenario or, or be in that situation where he has power over uh, over these women in that sense. Not not so much that he has power, but that he's in a position to make that wager, to make that uh, or, or to make that uh, that offering or that that bargain to present that bargain to them. That's that's the injustice that uh, that is being complained about. That it exists at all. Of course, that expands it out then to the whole idea of anybody being in a position of power anywhere in the world and having any influence over another person. Like let's let's go to any any other business in the world. Uh, you're a CEO of a company, and you can be a female or a male employee. And he says, you know. Uh, you know, if, uh, you know, I like, uh, the kind of work you're doing and stuff, if you could, uh, maybe, uh, do X for me, see your way to do X for me, uh, that, um, you know, you might, you might get a promotion next month and that's injustice. That's unjust as well. That's oppression, right? And it doesn't have to be of a sexual nature. So the whole taboo here is the fact that it's of a sexual nature. If these women were simply being asked, for example, to by Har- Harry, they come up to Harvey Weinstein's room and uh, Harvey's there and is in whatever he's, doesn't matter what what way he's dressed, and he says to them, you know, um, you know that movie you wanted to be in, uh, it's pretty possible you could get the lead role in that movie, but I'm gonna need you to go and make me a sandwich right now. Would that is that a, that's oppression as well, right? But it's so you know it's just separating out the whole uh, the sexual aspect to it, which is which is the it's 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 kind of titillating obviously to the media and it's um, I suppose to puritanical people it's 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 ghastly it's it's abominable simply because it's it's sexual you know but you know uh, obviously you know we're going to have to go with the feminist thing here and allow women sexual agency and the fact that women have. Uh, full awareness. Most women do have a full. Certainly, Hollywood starlets or whatever you call them. Um, certainly, they have an awareness of their own sexuality and and, and as women, the, the interplay between men and women and how the whole sexual dynamic works between between uh, men and women and what how women use their sexuality to get certain things from men to get a man in the first place. You know, it's all in this context that this is happening, and this is a context that's missing from this discussion. It's missing from most people's heads because they don't want to. 
I don't know why they don't want to talk about it or recognize it, recognize the basic nature of human beings and how sexuality and sexual attraction works between people and the games people play, the games men and women, and particularly women, play. Because women are actually dominant as far as uh, the whole sex, sexual interaction or, or you know, mating game goes. Women are very much dominant. Mm-hmm. And that evol- from an evolutionary perspective, they are dominant. And it's, it's programmed into them because they're the ones who go around and get to pick which male. Uh, the men just want to spread their spread their seed far and wide and uh, as much as possible. Women are very particular about which seed they choose to 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 use for the propagation of of or to the, for the production of their offspring. So women are the discerning members of this in this interplay between the two, whereas men are just like, oh come on, you know, anybody, anybody, please, you know. Um, <laughs> so so th- there's a power game there, and if you want to turn around, women are more powerful in that. Uh, mating game than, than men. They have they hold pretty much all the cards, and it's very few and far between uh, in terms of any man who would you know, f- I, I you know become rapists, become you know violent rapists. And Harvey Weinstein was in no position because of that kind of inversion of that of that dynamic to some extent. The inversion of the dynamic because of his position in in in, in Hollywood, um, he was under no obligation to. He had no reason to or no need to uh, force anybody to do anything. He just went around and every opportunity he got, he propositioned people. And yeah, he's a big, lewd, slobby, fat, ugly guy who probably has loads of sexual problems and, uh, you know, he's a bit sad, a bit pathetic. That's what Camille Pagli in in the video you were talking about, uh, Harrison, she basically described him. How sad, actually, the descriptions these women are giving of him. How sad Mm -hmm. for him, you know, that he's reduced, you know, uh, masturbating on plants in front of people. Really? And what women are traumatized by that? I mean, I'd be traumatized for the human species that produced someone like that. Do you know what I mean? And of course, there's, you know, it's Harvard Weinstein isn't the only one with kind of sexual issues. But this is a, a social problem. And it's going to be solved by uh, victimhood rants on Twitter by a bunch of women, by a bunch of Hollywood starlets who, who are so detached from the average person. And anyway, why are, they, why are they including us, the ordinary people, the little people, in this conversation at all? Yeah. Why are we even involved in this? Exactly. You know what? Hollywood starlets and producers all F off and do your goddamn thing because you know what? You're, you may as well be from another planet well, as far as the rest of us are concerned. They don't include us in your little internal squabbles. This is exactly it. What happened last year? Trump got elected. Who was ranged against Trump? All of Hollywood. Right. What did all these starlets and the male actors and the big names like Weinstein say? Oh, Jesus, if Trump gets elected, I'm out of here. I'm leaving the country. Hmm. What do they do instead? They said, oh my God, we're traumatized. Look at us. Listen to us. Listen to our problems. Mm-hmm. Focus on us. That narcissism, like, yeah, you, you basically declared yourself last year as not part of us, as right. part of a, a subset, if you like, a large one, admittedly. And it's kind of hard to define exactly because Hollywood's a location, but you know what I mean? It's a celebrity kind of liberal metropolitan elites and cities everywhere, primarily in the big cities on, the, on both coasts of the United States. But a similar kind of pattern can be found in other countries across the West. Mm-hmm. They declare themselves not of those racist, bigoted types mm-hmm. who, in describing such, were actually referring to the majority of people who see through their games, who don't like them anymore. Pretty right. much Hollywood movie ratings are tanking. I mean, not just the quality of the stuff that's produced, but people aren't going to the movies anymore in droves. They're, they're sick of it. Because okay. these people line up for the very things that people are really irate 
traumatized, mm-hmm. seeking justice over. Well, you know what the problem here? The problem here is that the, this whole, I can't believe anybody's taking this seriously, really. And I'm, and I'm sorry. I'm, I mean, it's there is, let's say, a problem. The hook here is that there is a problem in a certain sense um, where, you know, women get, uh, you know, harassed, wolf whistled on the street or, uh, you know, an unwelcome kind of touch or a look or whatever or proposition too often, you know, by lecherous men and in, in, in pubs and stuff or in bars. And that's a problem. But you know what? It's not up there at the top of the list for a start because it's always been that way. And trying to make it into a cause celebrity now that is like the defining problem of our modern era and we need to do something about it now is nonsense. You know, just go away. But mm-hmm. not only that, but they have actually, uh, this anybody who's, any thinking person understands or realizes that these people, this this campaign led by feminists has actually, they've, they've discredited their own arguments or, or their own cause for any thinking person. Uh, in advance already because of the way that they have uh, even before this Harvey Weinstein thing they've, they've um, started to kind of uh, force people to accept a new definition of what sexual harassment is you know um, and this and again like I said at the beginning of the show this isn't this this is intricately 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 connected to the social justice warrior business and the transgender business and the LGBTQ plus WXYs, QWERTY, whatever, uh, over the past few years. Because these are the people who, in the same way that feminists, it's like a tag team kind of thing. Femi- and of course, feminists and the kind of transgender and um, uh, non-binary kind of people, they, they, they're obviously, you know, the the same kind of they have the same they both have the same ideology basically which is like we're victims you know but um with the whole um stuff brought up by jordan peterson a couple of years ago now um of pronouns preferred pronoun pronouns and stuff i mean that kind of really got the ball rolling and pushing it out there into the public and creating a, a serious debate about it and it seems like I don't know if it was, if maybe it was just us who came across Jordan Peterson at that time and it came on the scene because of what he did. But I'm pretty sure it had been going on for a while beforehand, kind of undercover. But it, for us anyway, it brought it out into the public and it's weird. It's almost, it's weird the way it came to our attention and it also uh, broke onto the kind of public scene at the same time and has gained legs uh, or gained traction and speed since then, you know. But they started off with this uh, idea of, you know, you must use. Uh, my preferred pronouns and if you don't then that's oppression uh and not only is it oppression but uh it's it, they started using redefining words like violence uh that it was um i mean there's there's campus guidelines in universities across the u.s and in canada in particular as well uh there's there's one i was reading there that it, it, they said that um if you on a campus, if you say to someone, hey, hey man, you know, if you shout at someone, hey man, then um, obviously if that person is, well, even if even if the person isn't a transgender person, I suppose, it's still what they say it is, which is uh, violence. It's, it's actually called gendered violence to shout, hey man, at a male person, especially if that person is actually not a man. I mean, or at least if they claim they're not a man, they're a 
transgender man. If you say, hey man, that's, they're describing it in, in official literature, in campus um, you know, booklets and guidelines, as, as gendered violence. So using this word, it's violent, it's, you're actually committing a, an act of violence against someone by saying that to them. Um, and I'm talking about inflicting psychological harm. Um, so those people started using these words and redefining the, the, what violence meant. And that has seamlessly transitioned into this debate that we're, that's going on now over Harvey Weinstein on sexual violence against women. That basically looking at, looking at a woman, you know, leering at a woman in a bar is sexual violence as far as feminists are concerned. So these people have, like I was saying, have kind of discredited themselves because that's, to any thinking, sane person, that's ridiculous. It's not violence. I mean, when you use the word violence, if, if you go to court and say, violence was committed to me, well, you would, usually, if you make the claim that someone was violent or committed an act of violence towards me, then you would get to go to the police station and then you would get to go to court and the person would be brought up in court. And only, supposedly, only when you get to court would the judge find out that the person didn't actually commit any violence to get you, against you at all. They simply didn't use your preferred pronoun. And then what does a judge do? Does he go, oh, sorry, I thought there was some, I thought this was a, a violent crime that was committed. Well, it is, Your Honor. He called me by, by the wrong pronoun. So, yeah, it's, according it's, to the Human it, Rights Charter, it's a right, crime. So that's how ridiculous it is. And these, these people having, you know, uh, tag, tagging themselves or, or being basically one and the same as uh, with the uh, social justice warriors and the, uh, the pro, pro non-binary kind of uh, gender people, they, you know, they've, um, like I said, they've discredited themselves already by by taking it way too far in terms of like attempting to and trying to force on people a redefinition of words that people know very well what what those words mean, like the word violence um, and aggression. Th those are generally associated with you know physical acts. And if you try and change those words into non-physical acts, well then nobody's going to take you seriously, and you're discredited in, in advance. So. Uh, yeah. Well, Joe, you mentioned something uh, in the earlier part of your, you know, what you were just talking about, about kind of seeing this um, this whole sexual harassment thing as being like the biggest problem in Western civilization. Well, we had a we had an article up on SOT from uh, I believe it was from Quillette, um, might have been a few weeks ago, on on the whole sexual harassment thing. And the point that the author was making of this is, well, first of all. He or she, I can't remember um, who wrote the article, basically went through, a, I think it was a she. Uh, <laughs> sorry if I'm committing gendered violence uh, against this person. But uh, yeah. first went through a whole bunch of statistics um, about sexual harassment and not only, well, and violence, like real violence. So like actual like physical abuse and how it's quite, it's quite interesting to look at the actual numbers and how Actually, I believe the majority of like domestic violence is actually committed against men, um, but that's kind of beside the point for what I want to say. Um, the main point of this article was that if you look at the the actual kind of um, statistics over time, that sexual harassment and sexual violence is actually ha has been going down at a steady rate for years. So the right. problem is actually less less than it used to be. And the, the main warning that this author gave in this article is that 
there's it's it's dangerous to do what we're doing in society right now <clears throat> because we are basically focusing on what we perceive to be a problem when actually we might be doing a lot right and it actually like statistically it looks like we're doing something right because the problem is getting less and less severe as time goes on now by over like blowing it out of proportion and and seeing it as a bigger problem than it actually is we may actually unintentionally you know um um invalidate the what we're actually doing right mm-hmm. and and this gets back to something like uh, it's an insight that uh, that I think is very important from uh, from Timothy Wilson in his book. Um, which one was it? Red- I think it was either redirect. Yeah, no, it was redirect. <clears throat> and the point he makes is that when when people um, like come together and they see a problem, the, very often they will come to what seems to be an intuitively uh, a good solution to that problem. And oftentimes that will then be instituted, like in corporations or schools or government. They'll say, oh, well, here's the problem. Oh, well, this is what we we can do to fix it. So we're just going to institute these new policies and that'll fix the problem. But the problem with that is that very often, in fact, most of the time, our intuition about what the solution to a problem will be totally wrong. And it might actually make the problem worse. What you actually, so what he advocates is actually, what you have to do is, find this like kind of intervention or policy and then you have to test it you actually have to scientifically test it to see if it works and that you should be, that everyone should be doing that before instituting this on a mass level but we don't do that you know as a as a as a society in general we just say oh well you know that's obvious we're just going to do this and that'll fix the problem but it doesn't necessarily work and often counterintuitively the solution that you think is going to work will actually make things worse and there's actually an example of that that Jordan Peterson talks about and that's when He's talking about in universities, they have these programs, um, um, what are they called? Anti, um, anti-bias training or something like that, um, where they, you know, all, all the faculty has to get together and go through these courses that are supposed to be designed to reduce the unconscious bias that they have against minority groups, when in fact, um, wh- whatever studies have actually been done on these programs show that they have the, a negative effect. They actually make bias worse. So this is just a just an example of exactly you know what I was talking about, where you 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 come up with what seems to be um, you know a solution to the problem. Intuitively, it might make sense, and but then it actually makes the problem worse. So with sexual harassment, that's that's kind of what the the direction we're going here, where people are seeing a problem as if it's a new problem, and as if that problem hasn't been getting better for decades, and and then saying and you know blowing it way out of proportion to the extent where it's like in everyone's minds, things are as bad as they're, as they've been and they're only going to get worse. Well, they might get worse just from, you know, from exactly what these, what these people are doing and the approach they're taking to it. Right. They're going to undo the progress that has been done. Right. Uh, because they're going to, because obviously at the heart of this is, uh, is setting people against each other, you know? Um, I, it's, 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 it seems to be a concerted attempt to, by someone or by by some force of nature or whatever it is, conscious or not, to to you know drive a wedge between uh, men and women, and it's being led by women in this case, uh, who I'm pretty sure do not represent the thoughts or feelings of the vast majority of women on this planet. At least not in the extremism, but of course, many of those women, ordinary women around the world, could be sucked in or pulled into this dynamic and have their heads turned, basically, and 
you know, they can end, end up finding themselves, uh, you know, adopting this ridiculous radical ideology that makes no sense whatsoever. And it's so black and white as to be absolutely ridiculous. Uh, and, and, and it ignores all of the nuanced and gray areas that are part of pretty much every aspect of life. Um, so it's dangerous. Yes, it's, it's, it's very dangerous. And it's, it's not, certainly it's not good for, for society in general, you know, and I don't know what way ordinary people in society are, are, are dealing with it, but, uh, I'm pretty sure that, um, there are a lot of women out there, ordinary women who are being influenced by this yeah. uh, and encouraged to take this black and white approach to things. And if they do, if it spreads into the ordinary, uh, the, the ordinary population, well, it's not going to be good for, for, you know, for male, female relationships mm -hmm. and just obviously their forces had in general. Mm -hmm. Uh, going well, forward, John. Mm -hmm. I wanted to get back to another thing that you, that you'd mentioned um, about. Well, first of all, you, you said that this is you know this kind of like sexual harassment, as we're calling it these days, has always been around. Now, when when you put that together with the fact that um, actual sexual harassment is declining, um, there's some things to to consider and to keep in mind. And that uh, comes back to that, that statistic that, well, I don't think you gave the statistic, but basically you said that uh, women basically have the, um, like, more power when it comes to sexual relationships. And we can look at that statistically. Um, in the past, I think it was like a month or two ago, there was a, um, I think a, a journal did a study using Tinder data. So this is like the dating app mm. um, to show, like, the statistics of, you know, male and female attraction and, you know, quote unquote, hooking up. And what they found was that the, like the, I think it was like the top 10 to 20% of women rated in terms of attractiveness, basically, um, or I think, yeah, the top 20% um, were, were all competing amongst each other for like a very small, for, or no, no, it was the top 80%, I think. Top 80% of women were all competing for the top 20% of males mm -hmm. uh, rated in terms of attractiveness. And the bottom 80% of males, so the vast majority of males, were all competing for the lower 20% of females in terms of attractiveness. Mm -hmm. And this is just, you know, that's just, you know, representing exactly what you just said, that women are the, are the selective ones in terms of, you know, who they choose as a, as a potential mate. Mm -hmm. And this is reflected historically in the fact that, you know, if you, if you do genetic studies, um, only something like, uh, what was it, 40% of mm -hmm. males um, have, have actually reproduced historically. Mm -hmm. And, and the female number is up there. I think it's like, well, it's way more than that. Mm -hmm. So, so females actually control the, the, the actual, like, well, the gene um, pool. it's the gene pool. Yeah. So, so men are very indiscriminate about who, who they might want to sleep with because they just want to sleep with, you know, as many women as possible in order to spread their seed. This is like, you know, statistically or just, you know, on average mm -hmm. and women are very selective because they need a, they need a man that they can rely on who will then stick around in order to provide you know, protection and care for, for as the child, uh, um, you know, grows up because a woman is stuck with a child, a man isn't necessarily so. Mm -hmm. And so, so um, what you have to get from that is that you've got uh, like a large number of men who aren't, let's say, like sexually uh, satisfied or in a place, you know, where they're, um, you know, secure and like, like in a, in a, in a relationship. And so, you're always going to get a number of men, no matter what the, the society, no matter what, you know, solutions people have found to these so-called problems, you're always going to get a number of men who will break the rules or who will, um, you know, 
uh, act in certain ways that are then perceived by by women as as you know sexual harassment. It's just you're you're not going to ever like completely eradicate the problem just simply because because of that you know mm-hmm. disparity in terms of in terms of who's you know mating with whom, who's who's right. getting a partner where. So so what you get is that you know w- when you're walking down when a woman's walking down the street, you're never going to to be able to completely, you know, eradicate having men doing catcalls or something like that. And so... Unless you want to eradicate the human species. Go ahead. Right, yeah. So, um, so, oh, well, I lost my train of thought. Well, basically... uh, (laughs) That's all right. So, um, you're not, you're never going to eradicate that completely. Oh, so this gets back to what, uh, you know, Camille Paglia was saying, which is basically women need to... um, uh, learn how to deal with that, and because the world is a dangerous place, no matter what, mm. there are always going to be psychopaths. There are always going to be predators who actually want to do real damage. And this will be, you know, not just catcalls on the street. This will be people, uh, you know, men who will stalk a woman, a woman, and then you know, rape and maybe kill her. Mm. Um, like these are actual actual human predators. So when you're, you know, jogging in the in you know Central Park or some some um, you know um, relatively out of the way location and there are potential predators you think about it like you're going into the jungle right mm-hmm. you don't go into the jungle or the forest completely unprotected and, and okay so you walk through and you see oh there might be a bear there and you're like well you know i'm free i can do whatever i want so i'm just going to stand here and if that bear tries anything you know um mm. it's going to be his fault well mm. you might just get slaughtered you know mm-hmm. by that bear by not by not protecting yourself so if you if you want to like for for so women you know like the the whole women's lib thing Mm-hmm. I think we lost. Did we lose Harrison there? I think we lost Harrison for a minute. Um, yes, yeah. Camille Paglia again makes this point, right? So mm-hmm. if you're gonna, gonna, you know, jog down the street uh, in in or in a in a secluded park, um, wearing next to nothing, that's basically what a predator will see as prey, easy mm-hmm. prey. Mm-hmm. Because not only is it not 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 only is that prey um, signaling that it you know. To the to the to the kind of animal mind that it wants to reproduce, um, it's you know in this secluded area, and there's going to be like a shark out there that's going to smell the blood and go after it. Mm-hmm. And so that, that that that's something that that people in general have to understand is that is that the, no matter what, the world is always going to be a dangerous right. place, and, and, the, you know and the choices that you make are going to have consequences. Right, and you know what? I mean that that image you presented there, you know, says well. You're kind of pitching us at the at the lowest level, you know, at the level of of animals, basically, you know. Um, and the argument against that would be, well, that's just intolerable. I mean, how can you, you know, uh, why do men, uh, you know, act in this way? Why why do they, why do they act like animals? Why are they driven by animal instincts and stuff? You know, and of course, women are as well, but they just tend to not uh, recognize it, or, or it's a different type of instinct. But it's no less unconscious, I would say. Um, oh, start. Off air. There you go. Are we back okay. now? So are we back? I think we're probably back now, hopefully, anyway. Um, hope I didn't press stop. <laughs> okay, yeah, they can hear. <laughs> All right, we're back. Anyway, so what we we're saying was, um, what I was saying was that uh, this idea of wolf whistling in the street and women, women getting... Uh, up in arms about it and all that kind of stuff, uh, and Harrison's depiction of you know 
the idea that there's predators out there and women need to learn that there's predators in the world and that men are going to act uh, in this kind of way, especially in, in uh, mating ritual type situations. Uh, women could complain about uh, that and say, well, why should men be like that? I mean, wh- why does it have to be? Surely we're more than animals, basically. Aren't, aren't we humans? Aren't we above? Aren't we, you know, above the chimpanzee at this point, you know? And and the point is, yes and no. Um, in fact, mostly no. <laughs> uh, and But the main point is that these people who are complaining about it and want to change it and say that it's absolutely disgusting and we need to do something about it uh, is... Um, uh, they're, you know, they're deluded um, because first of all, you're not going to change human nature overnight uh, or via Twitter, uh, and you're not going to legislate uh, changes in human uh, biology. What would be far more useful would be to recognize and talk about uh, these kind of instincts and the way they work, and uh, you know, accept them as they are, and think seriously about how. You know what negative, what negative aspects they have, and have an open, fair, honest discussion about that. And if there's some way that you can think of to kind of like uh, to to structure, you know, male-female relations or mating rituals, whatever, in, in, in a better way, then do that. But in only do it in in full recognition and acceptance of the fact that we all have uh, kind of animal instincts, effectively. That, that humans are driven by biological urges and, 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 and motivations that are, are very similar to what are in animals, you know. But these people ignore those uh, effectively and don't recognize, basically what they don't recognize is the level that human beings, men and women, are actually at. They project us all off into some ridiculous ideal that has no, no that is totally unrealistic and is, has no basis in reality and then demand that that's how, that's where we should be already. That's where human beings should be at. And we're going to, like, uh, we're going to, we're going to criminalize uh, various activities. We're going to, we're going to prosecute people. We're going to oppress people. We're going to uh, pass new laws to force human beings to evolve past the place that they actually are right now instead of recognizing where they are and, and, because if you don't recognize the problem and the nature of the problem, and, and how are you going to fix it? And they don't recognize mm. the nature of the problem. And they, the other thing is they don't recognize their own part in it. And I'm talking here about feminists. They don't recognize their own part in this whole dynamic. They are the victims and men are the oppressors. And that kind of black and white thinking is always wrong. It's what fuels ideologies. Think of any ideology, uh, an evil ideology that usually ended up in, in, in killing large numbers of people. It was presented or it had at its core uh, uh, an ethos or a belief that was way oversimplified and ridiculously black and white, and it, which allows people to, one side, to slaughter all these people who aren't like me. We're the red flag. Let's kill all the people with the blue flags. Um, that's, what, that's, that's what defines uh, the worst ideologies of, of human history, and this is the same, and they're all defined by black and white thinking. A simplistic, oversimplistic black and white thinking. And this is what we're seeing right now in everything that's being talked about in terms of Harvey Weinstein and, you know, non-binary things, things that aren't binary, you know. And it's bizarre, but it's very complex. It's very, you know, it, the whole thing is very contradictory uh, is the main problem. And it's, it's just, it's so chaotic uh, that I can understand anybody who would just go, you know what, I'm turning the volume down. And walking away, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, separate uh, from the idea that this is a kind of a manifestation of um, the Me Too uh, social justice warrior, uh, like another dimension of that phenomena, 
Um, some writers have gone on to ask, why now? Why now when after years, uh, literally years of, of knowing uh, all about Harvey Weinstein, and this is true, I mean, I remember watching a show in, in the year 2000 called Action, which was about a, um, a kind of a lowly Hollywood producer who uh, makes a deal with the Rothstein brothers by asking his friend to kind of basically have a debauching uh, party with the Rothstein brothers. And everyone knows, uh, or everyone who watched that show for the season that it was on, knew that the producers of this television program were basically uh, indicting Hollywood, basically saying, you know, Hollywood sucks and this is why. Um, people are made to do this, these things, uh, out of, you know, out of their own desire to, and to some degree to, to get ahead, but this is kind of how it works. So, uh, this, this one program had the Rothstein brothers who everyone knew were a kind of a corollary to the Weinstein brothers. Okay. So this is 17 years ago that, that people knew that, uh, Harvey Weinstein and his brother, Bob, who are head of, um, Miramax at the time, I think, were these pretty awful creatures. Um, so anyway, getting back to this question, why now? Um, anyway, just a couple of interesting data points uh, preceding um, all of this that's come out about uh, Harvey Weinstein. Um, you know, take it for what it's worth. It, it is interesting. Um, if you all recall about a year and a half ago, a year ago, uh, this uh, this documentary called Vax came out. Uh, this was a very uh, strong kind of um, criticism of, of vaccine culture and and uh, you know what was happening in wellness show. Uh, so you had Robert De Niro who was kind of compelled to uh, pull this documentary about vaccination uh, from his Tribeca Film Festival uh, in New York, which is um, kind of like United States. And there was Just topped itself. Uh, what about us? Are you hearing us? Anybody hearing us? I, okay, they can hear me. Okay, so Harrison, yeah, okay. Let me let me get uh, let me get Harrison back. Um, uh, Alan was just in mid uh, in mid flight. Are you there, Alan? I am. Uh, what was the last Harry, thing everyone heard me say? Uh, vaxed. Yes. So. Um, and De Niro, yeah. So, so Robert De Niro had come out. Uh, you know, he was he was compelled by all the criticism at the time for even uh, deigning to show this movie uh, to pull it from his film festival, uh, which had the kind of um, the the backhanded effect of making the film even more popular and shown in other places. But clearly, a lot of people did not, especially in 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 politics and in the media and were attacking this film, attacking De Niro, attacking the filmmakers for even wanting to put it out. And um, shortly after this occurred, De Niro, uh, who's you know pretty much a Hollywood uh, legend and powerhouse, 
had had come out and said, yeah, you know, I, I pulled the film, but actually it had a lot of uh, important things to say and things we have to discuss uh, and, and questions that we need to look at regarding vaccination. Anyway, at around this time, this is uh, May 2016, he also came out and said that he would be producing another documentary on his own with Harvey Weinstein. Uh, and Harvey Weinstein has had an incredibly successful track record for the most part, except in the past few years, I think, of marketing movies. Whatever he did, I mean, these movies went on to win Academy Awards. They, they were successes at the box office. So there is this kind of, you know, why now? Why, why after 17 years, just as Harvey Weinstein and Robert De Niro, um, you know, and I, this could be a pattern recognition run amok, but it is interesting to me that uh, the two of them were, were about to produce a movie, a documentary, on the subject of one of the most contested mm. uh, subjects of our time. Um, and, uh, you know, it, there's, there's also, De Niro has been going back and forth. It, it seems like he's, you know, he's had sit-downs with Donald Trump on the subject of vaccination where they both kind of have, have agreed that it needs to be explored. And then, he, and then he goes around and, you know, he turns around and, and, and says, no, you know, I hate Trump and, and we have to think about overthrowing him. And so, I don't know, it just seems as if there are uh, mechanisms in place, possibly, that um, that may have arranged themselves to suppress what could have been a very powerful and and widely seen uh, movie made by Robert De Niro and Harvey Weinstein on the subject of vaccination. Mm. So again, this may just be pattern recognition run amok. It's just interesting to me that um, you know that that movie will no longer be able to be made. Uh, Harvey Weinstein has been kicked out of the company that he helped to produce to make with his brother. Um, and, uh, and Robert De Niro is off, you know, ranting about Trump. <clears throat> yeah. So, so, you know, what do you do with these data points? It, it's, well, it's just interesting. You put them out there. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, maybe we'll move on to a few other bits of bits and pieces of news. Yes. Mm hmm. Um, yeah. Neil's uh, our roving reporter. He's been uh, flying around the world this week, picking up uh, hot hot stories. Uh, what have you got first, Neil? I haven't really, actually. I've been looking at old news. Well, was it old or new? You've been time traveling then. You've been time traveling this week. <laughs> this has got that. a similar. Um, <clears throat> this is similar to Me Too. Um, Sweden. Hmm. Sweden is also, it's another trigger word at the moment. By the way, hold, hold that thought. Just the fact that you mentioned Me Too. <clears throat> Does anybody else see a problem with this campaign uh, of women coming forward and saying, I got looked at sideways once as well by a man, um, using the, the, that they're naming it me, hashtag Me Too? Because uh, for me, that uh, my understanding of that term "me too" is like it's usually used in a in a kind of a, a dismissive or cynical kind of way, where you'd say, "Oh yeah, yeah, me too, me too," as in 
disingenuously jumping on a bandwagon, basically, is what it means, uh, without any real reason to it, but just because uh, there's a bandwagon and you're going to jump on it. It's like, oh, yeah, me too, me too. So it's like, I can't understand how why people didn't uh, see that that was like, it's going to conjure up probably bad, uh, not exactly positive, or not the kind of connotations that they that they want, you know. She's another me tooer. Uh, anyway, go ahead, Sweden, me too. Um, actually, before Sweden. Ah, come on. Come on. <clears throat> I just want to point out, <clears throat> one of the people who've, who's fallen from grace after Weinstein is Kevin Spacey. Yep. Now, Kevin Spacey, He's a sly one. He gets outed as having screwed and then admitted to it, I'm not sure, a 14-year-old mm-hmm. boy. Roped. And then he Roped. goes, and he comes out as being gay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's a good job, Kevin Spacey, because, of course, that would well, just play into... It exposes his cynicism. Total cynicism. Though, as well. Man, people weren't very happy. People, members of the gay community weren't very happy with I him. I bet they weren't. That. Yeah, because it's uh, obviously conflates, uh, you know, homosexuality and paedophilia. I don't watch House of Cards, so I don't know him for that. I remember Kevin Spacey, though, as kind of a slick cop in L.A. Confidential, mm. in which there is a kind of a subtext where he has an in with Hollywood producers, mm. and he sets up, like, his cousin's son or something for a role in a movie by encouraging him to sleep with the male producer. Mm. <laughs> this is back in 2000. I mean, that's the Kevin Spacey with a wink and a nod mm. in a role doing what everyone already knows. I mean, they all know it. And they're all coming out now like, <gasps> the, you know, the, the false indignation, the crocodile yeah. tears are just disgusting. Right. And that's the whole problem with this whole this whole Me Too business is that uh, it's crocodile tears and it's uh, there's cynicism and hypocrisy all over it. And to be honest, all of these Hollywood people, I do not believe a word any of them say. It doesn't matter what they say. I don't believe anything that they say because they're all basically narcissistic, uh, you know, love me, do kind of I want to be a star type persons. That's their personality. Most of them are, are raging narcissists. So... Uh, they're not very, most of them don't have a lot of integrity. <clears throat> so for anybody, women or men, to come out and claim anything from uh, when there's a bandwagon rolling and claiming something happened to them 30 or 40 years ago, uh, I'm sorry. And in the context that we described already, it's like, I'm sorry, you know, you're in, you live in the world, you're in a business, you, ch- you made a decision, you know, deal with it, you know. Um, anything else is just pure hubris. and uh, Yeah, so... Tell us about Sweden. Um, I think it's another inflated hysteria bubble around maybe a kernel of truth. Um, Sweden, of course, is a trigger for the the right, so to speak, because you know when you say Sweden, everyone goes, "Oh, Jesus, yeah, isn't it, isn't it terrible what's happening in Sweden?" Oh, like we all know what's going on in Sweden, don't we? Actually, no, that's part of the problem. We don't. Um, in in alt right media and circle in quotes, um, it's become synonymous with um, everything that's wrong with Western society. Sweden lets in too many Muslim immigrants. There's an explosion in crime, specifically rape, 
but other violent crimes as well. Ergo, you let in the refugees and you get Sweden. And that's kind of their story. It's like, well, hang on a second. Well, the counter story, the mainstream basically, and also the Swedish press are countering it by saying, well, where where are people getting this from? But there is a problem in one city in particular. There's been a problem with gang warfare in other cities going back a couple of decades. Um, but it's fairly recent. It's probably a couple of years old since that big wave of refugees slash migrants came to Europe. 2015, and yes, Sweden took in proportionally a lot of them um, relative to the size of its population is only 10 million. Um, I've, I've never been satisfied with either. I, I, I think the right has a point in that the there is a kind of, there is, is an aura of hushing things up. We've seen that with cases in Germany where if the accused is the refugee, specifically a Syrian refugee, but it could be from anywhere, they will tend to hide his identity and his age. It's usually a he, always a he, actually. Um, And that's feeding into a climate of, well, naturally, a climate of reaction against taking in refugees, period. Um, In Sweden's case, I've been looking at, there are three main things. There's one that Sweden is now rape central the highest rates of rape in the world. You've heard that claim bandied about. The other one is um, about violent crime and specifically two trends, burning cars. And the other one is, I couldn't believe when I heard it, throwing grenades. Apparently there's a lot of grenades in Malmo, Sweden. Um, The thing is when you look into the cases, it's not so much that there's a cover up on the part of the local police. It strikes me that they, the reason they have found so little evidence and, and rarely caught, a, caught anyone actually and brought them to trial is because they don't catch them. It's not so much that they're covering it up. I think they have something really strange going on, especially in Malmo. It's southernmost city, the one that borders uh, Copenhagen across the bridge there. Um, in, in, for example, in one of the trends, the, the grenade things, so this began in 2014. There were like 34 incidents of people throwing grenades. Killed a couple of people in some cases, but for the most part, just thrown randomly, it appeared, at buildings um, or in the direction of crowds, but never actually attempted to kill anyone. And that exploded in 2015, and that's the wave of migrants. And it's been an even higher, I think, in 2016, and it's still ongoing. Explosions, and so it's 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 filtered. It's it's come to us generally reported as terror attacks in Sweden. Of course, that's amplifying up the case of well, something serious going on in Sweden. But actually, when you look at these cases, it's really bizarre because they're like mostly unsolved. Um, and they, there seems to be no pattern to it. That's what the police say, anyway. Mm. And it turns out that in 2014, they, this is only the suspicion. They haven't uh, published any hard findings on this, but they, they suspect that somebody shipped a phenomenal amount of high explosives into a city of like 300,000 people sometime in 2013 or 2014. Most of it left over 
stuff from the wars in Yugoslavia in the 90s because the police have they have they have a They've either since caught some people with the grenades, or they've they've been led to where they're being stored or something. And they've they found that there are all these uh, Eastern European Yugoslavian make um, grenades, and they're really old in most cases. So a lot of them don't work. But somebody, at, furthermore, the police suspicion is that somebody got them, and they didn't sell them to gangs in Malmo, Sweden. They gave them away for free. They were dumped in that city. And I, the reason that's interesting me so much is because it's been such a weird situation where neither explanation, the dominant ones, satisfy me. And when I found this, I'm like, that smacks of somebody throwing high-octane fuel mm -hmm. into mm -hmm. a situation to give it a certain appearance mm -hmm. and to provoke reactions left and right. Um. Yeah, well, and why you, Sweden? Why Malmo? Consider, Malmo, yeah. by the, I should just, I want to say this, Malmo in 2009 was uh, in the headlines in the West because there were massive anti-Israeli protests at which far-right groups, hmm. Muslim represent, Muslim, local Muslim groups, because there, there was a pre, there is a previous large percentage uh, Muslim expat community from previous migrations because Sweden has taken in people since at least the 90s. Um, Left-wing groups in Sweden all united in one voice against Israel. Specifically then about, I think there was, a, they, they had another one of the, Cast Lair, I think was 2009. Right. Yeah. And Israel was to play Sweden in the Davis Cup tennis match right. in Malmo. And it was such a hot topic that they decided, well, the match can go ahead, but we're not going to let anyone attend. Any supporters go. And was tens of thousands of people still turned up just to scream abuse, at the, you know, to protest Israel, right? Yeah. The Swedes. Um, when I heard, remember that, I was like, well, yeah, that's totally changed now. Now it's like, yeah, well, that's they've been divided in among themselves. Well, it's, it's a perfect solution, I suppose. Sweden has a long history of, of being pro-Palestinian, not just amongst the people, but also uh, in politics. You know, you had a lot of Swedish politicians uh, taking a stand for Palestine against Israel over the past, you know, 10, 20 years. Uh, so it's interesting then that uh, Sweden gets an influx of um, people from that area, basically Muslims from the Middle East, um, probably some Palestinians as well, and... Um, and uh, the, there's basically a whole campaign to to demonize, uh, you know, Muslim immigrants into Sweden and turn Swedish people's, I suppose, their their opinion against uh, Muslims and, and in particular Arabs, you know. I mean, it's definitely, it's like another data point that stands out, you know. It yeah. does. Oh, I mean, it, this all reminds me of uh, Weapons of Mass Migration and, and the interview we had with Michael Springman. Uh, it, it, you know, we, we had, a we had mentioned on a previous show how ISIS had actually hacked a radio station and, uh, I think I'm pretty sure it was Sweden, uh, which means that, um, you know, there's this, uh, there are these, um, forces acting on Sweden. It almost seems to be, uh, like the UK a little bit in Germany, perhaps, uh, and a lot of other uh, countries in Europe for that matter. Uh, kind of test cases to see how society is responding in various ways to 
you know, the, the liberal idea of being accepting and, and uh, embracing immigrants um, versus the reactions of uh, what they would call the right. Uh, and, and I guess also studying to see how far the xenophobia is going to go mm-hmm. and how, how far the, si- the society can be pushed in a direction to, uh, to actually call for uh, certain reactionary measures um, that would, yeah, that I don't would think describe to, to so solve much, everything. I don't think I describe so much agency to it. It's more like a, it's a general trend across, certainly in Western Europe. Um, uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't think I make the claim that Sweden is singled out so much. I'm just saying that in this case, this the, this is the, an effect of the general trend to divide and rule people, and this is the effect it has on Sweden. Um, well, it's hard not to ascribe some agency to it, you know, uh, when you see these things happening just, uh, you know, in a direct kind of cause and effect kind of way, you know. Uh, you can look at it and you can say, well, I can see how all this happened. You can see the, the, the steps that, that led up to this being a current state of affairs, but at the same time, it's all very convenient, you know. Um, and there's something, I mean, do you are, you are we saying human beings are doing this to themselves? This human society is organizing itself around in this really convoluted way to the point that people are kind of like, uh, kind of gaslighting themselves, you know? Uh, so, I mean, you know, because that's what's happening really in a certain sense. You have um, the whole multicultural, multiculturalism, multiculturalism thing going on where a lot of people in Europe are welcoming of, of refugees, but then at the same time, you have uh, a campaign in terms of the uh, terror attacks to force those people to, at the same time, hate uh, Muslims, you know, because they're the ones who carry the terror attacks, you know. So people are caught in this in this kind of, schiz- you know, almost schizoidal situation where, where naturally they want to say, you know, inclusion and diversity and, don't, you know, people need some help and they should be allowed to be brought here. But then at the same time, uh, someone's going around and it's not, I mean, the media is obviously part of it, I mean, but someone's going around carrying out these terror attacks and then the media is broadcasting it far and wide. Um, and it's just like a ridiculous situation for people to be in where they were, were you know, they're told uh, love refugees and hate them at the same time. Mm. Yeah, well, that that's what the situ- situation in Sweden it reminded me of the strategy of tension, which, yeah. which heard described by NATO stay behind forces mm-hmm. in the 20th century. Um, very cunning mm-hmm. mindset, which would feed people one viewpoint from the left and the other from the right, where both both can argue with each other endlessly because there's a kernel of truth that supports both sides, mm-hmm. you know? Right, yeah. Well, and this actually, just to, to bring it back to like the start of our discussion and the whole, um, you know, topic of sexuality, um, just one thing to consider in this whole refugee crisis thing. And uh, so this would apply to Sweden, but also all countries, um, you know, who have had major refugee influxes is that, um, and this is one of the things that, um, you know, I first heard during our show with Mike Springman, but then I've, since then I've seen, you know, various articles bringing this up. And this has to do, again, with like population studies and statistics, is that when you get a, a group of young males 
who are um, how do how do you put it? Who don't have access to an equal number of the of similarly aged females, you get violence and crime. Oh, and and rape. Mm. Um, and this is just a this is just a statistical thing that happens in any population where where this phenomenon happens. And what do we have? We've got what like eighty eighty percent of refugees are like uh, you know um, young males. Um, so what, what, what's going to happen when you take 80%, you know, an 80% population of males, young males, and put them in a, a new environment where they don't, not only don't have, um, you know, access to potential, uh, partners or mates from their own culture that they can speak and interact with, but they're, you know, the only women around don't speak their language and are, you know, a completely different, uh, or not, well, a different culture you're you're going to get crime and you're going to get increased numbers of rapes and that's exactly what you see and it should be predictable like this should this should be something that that um you know public servants and the people responsible should say okay well because we know this about you know population demographics and things like that you know we're going to have to structure these things in a certain way but you don't get that like it's a kind of uh, they're falling down on the job there mm. and um and so like that that's the kernel of truth when you look at um like the the like the right wing that's saying oh all this crime is all from the the refugees well they've got a point in that like the statistics do say that the, the that the refugees are responsible for a greater proportion of the crime like relative to their numbers so so in Sweden the the latest number i saw um in a, an article we've got on on sought for, again from Quillet it's called uh Sweden's sexual assault and gang violence crises present a feminist paradox but in there, they um, like one of the recent numbers was that um, now this doesn't necessarily reflect um, like the actual situation um, because of you know various other factors. But 53% of rape suspects in you know ongoing cases um, in the past what couple years are uh, foreign-born, you know, so they are from the refugee population um, or the immigrant population, and that's just a that's just a you know one of those statistical things that's it's not like um, it's not like crime is boomeranging to the extent where, you know, you have, uh, you know, almost zero rapes and now, you know, 50% of women are, are, are raped all of a sudden. It's not that extreme. It's, it's a statistical thing where the crime is a lot higher than it was, but it's still, you know, at a relatively low level. Um, you know, just that's how crime works. Um, you know, right. you, there, there aren't very many countries in the world where crime is just rampant and everyone is a victim of all these different types of crimes. Crimes are always, you know, this very minority thing that only happened to a certain number of people, you know, mm -hmm. a fraction. And it's just a higher number than it usually is. And it can be directly tied to, you know, bringing in a bunch of young males into the population. It's just like, you know, cause and effect, you should think about that. And then on the one hand, but then you get the, the whole polarization dynamic where the right wing is like, you know, it's like, again, like the sexual harassment thing, it's like that becomes the new biggest problem. And it's not necessarily the biggest problem. It is a problem and it should be, you know, figured out how to be dealt with. But it, it kind of, it, it gets spun into these enormous dimensions that kind of don't reflect, um, you know, just the the reality of, uh, you know, the degree of these things when you just look at the, the actual statistics. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I just wanted to bring the point back around, uh, Neil, you mentioned NATO a moment ago. Uh, it's interesting to me that uh, Sweden has been uh, pretty sure Sweden has been kind of upping its uh, participation in NATO exercises and anti-Russian um, rhetoric, if I'm not mistaken. And, uh, you know, it, it just seems like the, the countries with the biggest immigration problems 
also happen to be the ones who, who are the strongest proponents of, of NATO for the most part. Uh, and, uh, you know, no pun intended, but Sweden's got the Stockholm syndrome in a sense. You know, it creates these problems for itself via immigration, but it also is supporting the one organization in the world that has probably one of the most responsible for creating these problems to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, there is that kind of larger uh, dynamic at play, which is just a little, you know, when you look at it from from a little distance, it's it's a little mind boggling. Mm-hmm. Um, Though there's a, I mean, there's an explanation for for all of this, and uh, it's it would be in the in the situation where political leaders have become kind of fundamentally corrupt after many years of selection of, of the wrong kind of people for public office. You have this bunch of corrupt politicians who are only interested in maintaining their own uh, grip on power. Um, and there's no pl- amongst us, such a group of people, such a group of politicians uh, across the board in different countries, there's no political will to do anything about social problems. In fact, there's political will to make sure that there are social problems because uh, problems in society, uh, particularly terrorism and, you know, refugee violence and all this kind of stuff, requires, uh, you know, kind of strong leadership um, and the types of people who are willing to take, you know, difficult decisions, let's say, quote-unquote, uh, and to increase the uh, militarization of society and, uh, you know, basically increase people's dependence, the population's dependence on the people in positions of power, thereby securing their positions. Uh, and of course, that they also are able to enrich themselves and their friends in society by uh, by funneling ta- taxpayers' money up into uh, you know into corporations that uh, that provide these kind of this kind of militarization of society. So, um, but anybody who like, you know, just addressing your point, Harrison, of them falling down on the job and stuff, it's like I'm not sure that's the case. I'm, I think these people uh, know very well that uh, that these problems are going to present. Uh, in the way that they're presenting, but and they're quite happy about it because they know it secures them in their jobs for for a longer period of time. If if they were to create a society that was peaceful, where everybody lived together and stuff, you would have a very different. You have people have the opportunity to to vote for, um, you know, different types of leaders who had a different type of an agenda, uh, in in peacetime effectively, where everybody's happy and, and content and living peaceably, um. And, and that kind of setting, what those kind of leaders who would be voted into power uh, would do is apparently not the agenda or not doesn't fit with the agenda of some other group of people who, you know, are behind the scenes. And that's been going on for quite a long time. Yeah. If peace were to break out in the West, there'd be regime change overnight. Yeah. you kick all the corrupt people out, but people are much more willing to accept corruption and evil and, and in fact, they admire a politician for being a bit evil because in times of uncertainty and danger, well, he's a better bet than the, than the peacenik, right? Because he's the, 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 the one that, you know, is a bit corrupt, a bit dodgy, you know, uses fiery rhetoric and, you know, uh, you know, is a bit, a bit angry. Well, he's a better, better person to be in power, uh, than, uh, than some wishy-washy hipster, you know, uh, peace-loving hipster. So, uh, those those people once they're in power, their agenda clearly is to uh, increase public insecurity, and anything that looks like it might 
cause public insecurity, they're like, well, that's our policy for this year. Uh, yeah, it's pretty pretty bad. It's a, it's a very difficult situation, and I'm not sure there's any way out of it. The German military this week published uh, a report outlining scenarios for Europe in 2040. I think four out of six scenarios envisage a block of Eastern EU countries breaking out of the EU and joining Russia. I don't know, literally joining Russia, like a la Crimea, but joining Russia. 40 what? In, in becoming more, what do they call it? More aligned towards state capitalism, which was an interesting term to use. And that uh, Europe would likely become, by 2040, I mean, that's not far away, Europe would likely become multipolar within itself. Mm. That's the worst case scenarios anyway. 40 countries? Uh, in 2040. Yeah, oh, in 2040. How many? A bunch of countries. A bunch of, yeah. Probably All pro- probably Eastern. the block they've already singled out, which is... Estonia. Czech Republic, Poland, Hungary, and Austria. Mm. Oh, my God. The Russians are at it. <laughs> yeah, maybe these people are... Maybe these people have some kind of... It's obviously a paranoid delusion in a certain sense, but to some extent, it, it well, makes sense to them that uh, where they envision uh, what would happen if uh, if Russia is allowed to uh, to let a fair fair go, you know, a, a seat at the table type thing. That that's where it would go inevitably. Um, you know, you'd have effectively a kind of Eurasian integration with uh, Russia uh, at the centre of it, and that means these people would lose power. Mm-hmm. The, the Atlanticist uh, block. The NATO bloc would, would lose power. And that's what they're trying to hold on to. And the best way they can do it, they think, is to uh, beat Russia as often as possible. Whether they need it or not. Yeah. Well, to, another story here, just to continue a little bit with um, our discussion of uh, the developments in the Middle East, uh, Saudi Arabia, Israel, uh, their... Uh, their kind of threats and, and statements made against Hezbollah and Iran. Uh, we had one article on SOT recently which made mention of um, this kind of a, a deal uh, between Saudi Arabia and Israel. Uh, I think it was a leaked discussion, but um, the gist of it was basically that Saudi Arabia would give up its uh, support of uh, a sovereign Palestine, a two-state solution, uh, in return for um, Israeli support um, and I think U.S. support against Iran. Now, um, not that Saudi Arabia was ever a, a kind of a, a viable uh, force for you know, constructive peace between Israel and, and Palestine. It's always been a kind of just a political you know, uh, piece of leverage that they've had. Uh, but they know, for instance, that that many of uh, that it is a sticking point among a lot of the citizens and and people in the Middle East who who are you know are rankled by Israel's treatment of Palestinians. So um, basically, following that, um, there was this, some piece of news where the U.S. had um, claimed that the the PLO office, uh, the Palestinian Liber Liberation Organization's office in Washington 
uh, I forget exactly how they um, subverted well, their power, but well, the the, the PLO office in Washington. Um, well, I, I don't know if it relates to anything that they actually said publicly, but it was basically a threat. So, bas- they, Washington basically said, "We'll shut down your office if you support." Um, charges being brought in the International Criminal Court against Israeli war criminals. Mm-hmm. So basically, if you have the audacity to support investigations of Israeli war crimes and prosecution of Israeli war criminals, we're going to shut you down in the U.S., mm-hmm. which, which is just ridiculous on the face of it. I mean, mm-hmm. Yes. And the, other, and the other piece of that is, and, and you have to play along and support the peace process yeah. as though it were a Palestinian... Uh, mm-hmm. kind of political point that, that they're not doing enough to support the peace process, which is completely absurd. Um, so uh, it seems like the, the U.S. Has, has been um, further uh, coerced into taking these measures. Um, how, how much that kind of falls into line with, uh, with you know, the recent developments between Saudi Arabia and Israel is a question. Um, but, uh, well, just one yeah. thing, one thing about, uh, well, a couple things on that one, the, like the leaked thing between like the Israeli, uh, Saudi agreement or negotiations. Um, I don't think there's much to that just because it, well, it's hard to get a, a read on what the Saudi intentions were, but I think it was more, it's almost as if it, it's just, uh, um, it's just politicking. Um, without any real kind of conviction to back it up, because one of the Saudi terms of that, you know, agreement was that either Israel would get rid of its nu- nuclear weapons, or Saudi would be able to become uh, uh, a nuclear state. Right. And neither of those is ever going to happen. Um, and it certainly wouldn't right. be. It certainly wouldn't happen in the ter- you know, in the course of like an agreement of this sort. So it's just like posturing on on the Saudis' part, and probably desperation yeah. on the Israelis' part, just to to get engaged in this process in the first place. Mm. But also regarding like the 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 U.S. kind of um, trying to get the PLO um, backing the you know Trump's peace plan with Israel and and Palestine. Um, Saudi Arabia called uh, Abbas. From, from over from Palestine and basically told him, "Oh, you've got to get behind Trump's peace plan." Mm. And I'm I'm not sure. I I think I read that Abbas's response once he got back is is like basically you know flipped him off or something like this is bullshit. Yeah. So yeah, they're really trying. Like, and Israel's really trying, and they've got you know they've got their guys with Trump, like Jared Kushner and uh, 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 Adelson, whatever his name is, and you know so they're really trying to. You know, give Trump a win on uh, on Palestine, but it's like, uh, okay, I, 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 yeah, it's, it's, I, I it's a farce, though, and and with Israel Palestine is a complete farce. You know, it's been going on for so long, and I'm amazed that anybody uh, still thinks. I mean, it's just it's a joke, you know, that they're having these high level kind of like you know Palestinian peace peace process or the Israeli Palestinian peace process, talking about that as if it's as if it's anything but a complete farce at this point, you know. It's just amazing that anybody buys into it, you know. Um, obviously, you know, these really are a bunch of psychopathic murderers, you know, um, and, and, and and what they've been doing to the Palestinians for so long. And, uh, and of course, you know, anytime you say that, you know, you get the accusation from the Israeli side that, you know, well, the Palestinians or Hamas or whatever, they don't recognize Israel's right to exist. And the obvious answer to that, that's, a, that's usually their final point. You know, their only point is usually... 
to defend all of the indefensible things that Israel has done to, Palestine, to Palestinians is that, well, they don't recognize our right to exist. What would you do if there was someone who didn't recognize your right to exist? Well, hang on a minute. You were the first to not recognize Palestine's right to exist from the get-go, from the day that you created your little statelet on Palestinian land. And since then, you have gone, done everything you possibly could and have gone a long way to making sure that there's no possibility of any Palestinian state possible uh, at all, ever. And in the process, you've murdered, you know, thousands of Palestinians. Uh, so if that doesn't, if that isn't the definition of denying someone else's right to exist, i.e. have their own homeland, well then I don't know what is. Uh, as far as I can see, Israel is still a state with borders. You can't say the same thing about mm-hmm. Palestine anymore. There's pretty much nothing left of it. So who is the one who's denying the other's right to exist and who has done the most, by far the most, to make that a reality? Israel. And it's a no-brainer. The fact that anybody has to discuss this or thinks that there's anything to discuss on Israel-Palestine other than saying Israel is an apartheid state and yes, in its current configuration, does not have the right to exist and never should have. Anybody who doesn't realize that uh, doesn't need their brain. They should donate it to some well, Israeli organ trafficker. <laughs> Oi, you didn't go there, did you? Well, just, just bringing this back to Hollywood for just a second. Uh, you know, we, we recently read about one of these um, fundraising events uh, held in Hollywood. I think... Uh, run by Sheldon Adelson, uh, who is uh, the media Las Vegas magnate. Uh, quite a character, this guy. Uh, it never surprises me, uh, or rather, it, it never fails to surprise me how powerful he is. Isn't he another one of those guys that's like 150 years old and just doesn't seem to... He just won't croak, Yeah, this guy. No. And um, he... So, you know, you have one of these events. Uh, this It's a quintessentially kind of Hollywood liberal uh, events that was just put on where basically they're fundraising for the IDF. They're, they're raising money among rich, predominantly Jewish, but many non-Jewish uh, Hollywood kind of people who fancy themselves as pro-Israel. Um, they are actually pro-Israel. And, uh, you know, you have Barbara Streisand, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Robert De Niro. Seal. Uh, Seal, uh, all of these figures are coming out. You know, they're they're meeting with these young, attractive IDF soldiers who are flown out from Israel to to come to uh, Los Angeles or wherever it is that they're having this meeting. And uh, as if the the billions and billions of dollars uh, that the U.S. gives to Israel isn't enough, uh, they're further you know raising these millions of dollars to you know I don't know what it is uh, IDF retirement homes or you know, as if they need more money. And um, it's just, uh, yeah, it, 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 it's disgusting. And, this is, and also so this just is reflective from, of, of what Hollywood is. Right, and this is coming from Hollywood. This is the kind of caliber of person, caliber of thinking that Hollywood produces. And getting back to, to Weinstein, and we're going to believe anything these people say, their brains clearly right. don't function. They probably don't remember what they had for breakfast yesterday morning, never mind what happened 10 years ago in Harvey Weinstein's office. It's yeah. all so BS. on top of on top of Hollywood kind of 
uh, giving Academy Awards to White Helmet documentaries. Uh, you know, Rob Reiner coming out with Morgan Freeman to to talk about Russian collusion. Um, uh, this, I mean, you know, Hollywood is this bubble uh, of narcissism, as you used the term earlier, Joe. You know, it's unbelievable. It it really is, and it and it aims to keep people in that bubble in whatever manner it uh, it can. It's a den of iniquity and corruption and human trash. And nobody should believe it. Nobody should pay any attention to anything they say. Just get on with your own lives and sort out your own problems and forget about the Hollywood starlets and all their bullshit. Amen. Take Amen. that to the bank. Get interested on it. Anyway, Do we have any other <laughs> stories? Uh, I don't news. I don't think so. I mean, of course, there's just tons of, uh, you know, Me Too stories with all the different people involved. But uh, and of course, we didn't we didn't really get into any of the details of it going over into politics. We mentioned Anthony Weiner um, earlier, but uh, you know, well, yes. Yeah. Can you imagine what's going on? What goes on in Hollywood and in in Washington? Yeah, uh, lobbyists and interns and all that kind of stuff. But of course, they're not going to oh, yeah. come out and say anything because that's too that's too. You can sacrifice a, bunch, a few a few. Hollywood oh, yeah. elite, but you cannot sacrifice any politicians. It takes a lot to, for politicians to go down, except in the context of this guy Ray Moore, for example, when it's clearly politically motivated because mm-hmm. the Hillary camp and, and whoever don't want him uh, in the Senate and they want to do whatever they can to stop him getting there, and then they'll bring it up the about him. don't want him Sorry, either. What? Both of them don't want him. Why? Because he's an actual, like, honest-to-God conservative. Well... I don't think well, they're like, he's, on the Trump, he's on the Trump train. A, yeah, there was an Arizona senator, the, well, not McCain, his the other guy, caught on a hot mic saying, "Christ, uh, the Republican Party is screwed." Yeah, but when I talk about Trump the Hillary, when I talk about the Hillary camp, I'm, I include the Republicans who are the turncoat Republicans. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, that's pretty much all of them. Right. Well, there's a few Trump and well, just Trump, I suppose. He's well, just as an example of, here. as an example of the fact that uh, you know real. Real, uh, you know, political sexual scandals rarely get any airtime. Like when they and when they do get airtime, it's just, um, you know, it's been manufactured for a political purpose. Um, is the <clears throat> the two things that have come out recently in the political sphere, you know, in addition to Roy Moore, is the first of all George H. W. Bush, um, and just him yeah. being like ninety three and somewhat senile and, and grabbing like any female's uh, you know derriere that, that comes within three feet of him, right? And then just writing it off as a joke, um, and you know people kind of just laughing it off and being like, oh, that, you know that that Georgie, he's you know kind of yeah. senile, <laughs> and then also Joe Joe Biden because uh-huh. yeah, I mean for like the last couple of years there have been videos of him just being like really creepy with right. young girls right. and. Uh, you know, in these photo opportunities, and then apparently, I some I I I haven't looked into it yet. I, could, I don't know if it's like a Twitter um, um, employee or something, but someone was on like on Twitter basically saying that Twitter should censor the images of Joe Biden being creepy with young girls because mm-hmm. uh, um, because it makes him look bad, I guess. Right. Um, but it upset some it, people. Uh, yeah. So it, yeah, they're just Joe Biden's yeah. creepy. I'll just say that. Creepy, creepy Biden. Yeah, that's. I mean, the whole thing's a big S H one T show, and it's 
Jesus, where do you where do you begin? You know, that's why we tend to. I mean, delving into that whole area is just you know. I mean, you can just sum it up like we've summed it up and say that it's just a den of iniquity, basically. And what more is there to say? You know, and, and if a facade, a, a mask of of sanity and normality, but the, uh, behind it, it's a putrid cesspool, basically, and. Uh, everything at that top echelon in, 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 in public life and in, in political life and in social life basically is, you know, the vast majority of people are just, they're ruined, you know. I mean, it's, it's, it's Rome, Roman Empire at the height of its, height of its power and just before it collapsed. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. It doesn't get any worse than that, you know. Um, yeah. Anyway, I think we'll uh, leave it there for this week, folks. Um, we covered our topics I think mostly we'll be back next week with another show Uh, so thanks for listening we hope you enjoyed the show and have a good evening see you next week Bye. bye everyone